I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Hope. My wife Vanessa and daughters Juliana and Emily send our greetings from our home here in Springfield. And uh, Michelle has asked me to introduce myself and read the scriptures for today. I am a theater teacher. I teach uh, drama to middle school and theater and theater tech at a high school here in Virginia. And I'm happy to do the reading today. It's Matthew 13 verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well, and the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. 
And the slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of God for the people of God. Hello, my name is Jason Marset, and I am a member of the Kingstown Communion. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines dumpster fire as a utterly calamitous or mismanaged situation or occurrence. I think we can say that the COVID pandemic has been a dumpster fire for all of us. My personal dumpster fire has been dealing with the pandemic while still going to work at a large urban hospital where I deal with sick and complex patients. I had two colleagues who were hospitalized for nearly three months and miraculously they survived and went home and have a long recovery ahead of them. A third co-worker contracted the virus, was hospitalized for one week and unfortunately succumbed to the virus. The loss of one co-worker and the near loss of two other co-workers weighs on me daily. So how do I deal with my personal dumpster fire? Well, every day I ask myself the following, how can I protect myself, my patients, my colleagues at work, my family, and my community? What's your personal dumpster fire? And what steps are you taking to deal with it? So a few weeks back, immediately following the first 2020 presidential debate, the camera afterwards panned over to Jake Tapper from CNN as he said, well, that was a hot mess inside of a dumpster fire, inside of a train wreck. Not exactly profound journalistic rhetoric and yet absolutely on point, right? 
Like the best way to describe what we had just watched. And honestly, it's what 2020 has felt like in general, right? The never ending parable of the dumpster fire. Perhaps not even in politics, perhaps like Jason, you have known well in your own personal life, the dumpster fire of 2020. All I know is that when I turn on the news, it feels like this kingdom is on fire. It's burning down. Perhaps, perhaps your own personal kingdom is also on fire. The good news for all of us is that Jesus is always pointing us toward another kingdom. And I think that's what we need right now, this election season. We need to dodge the dumpster fire of this kingdom and turn toward Jesus's kingdom. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to do just that together. We're going to root ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus offers a whole lot of new parables about what God's kingdom looks like and how it feels, how it tastes, how it sounds, as opposed to the kingdoms and nations of this world. In Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of God is not a dumpster fire, thank God. No, Jesus says it's like weeds and wheat growing together in the same garden. It's like a merchant in search of, of the finest pearls. It's like, it's like paying vin vineyard workers all the same wages. It's like a wedding banquet table filled with all these unexpected guests. It's like risking your money in order to double it. These are some of Jesus's greatest hits, greatest illustrations of what God's kingdom looks like, feels like, tastes like, which I believe is what we need right now to dodge the dumpster fire and to turn towards building God's kingdom while this one is on fire, while this one has been set ablaze. And today we start with Jesus's parable of the wheat and the weeds. Did you hear it as Paul read for us? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but, but while everyone was asleep, an enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. This is one of the most significant passages in the Bible for the way we as individual Christians and whole denominations have understood our relationship to the public, to the public life in America in the last century. And I believe that the predominant way this parable has been read over the last century, it rests on a mistake. This parable is really about the Christian response to evil. So as we, we dig into this parable, this simile for God's kingdom today, I think it would be right for us to identify that mistake and then get at what a Christian response to evil in this world really looks like when this parable is read rightly. And so let's jump in. First, the parable of the wheat and the weeds tells us that there is, there is real good in the world. 
and it's because God put that good there. And then it tells us that there is real evil in this world. And, and the agricultural historians tell us that these, these, these weeds look just like the wheat, especially in, in the early growth, but they eventually kill off the wheat by overcoming its roots. And so we're presented with these two questions in this. One is a theological question and one is, is more of an ethical question. The first theological question is, well, where did the evil come from then? Where did it come from? In this story, in this parable, it says that, that an enemy did this. And so the evil in this world does not come from God. But, but honestly, the Bible in general isn't very interested in the origins and precise nature of evil. We don't have a whole lot of answers. We don't discover in this story or elsewhere the character or, or, or purposes of God's enemy, but we learn that God for some reason permits evil in the world, right? And then, and then there's the ethical question, which, which is, is, is way more developed in this story with, with, within which the Bible and in this particular story is very interested in. And that question is, should we pull the wheats out? And we're given this clear and surprising answer in this story. Did you hear it? No, no, no. Jesus says you shouldn't pull the wheats out for two reasons. First, there's, there's no way to know if you're pulling the wheats out, if the, there's no way to keep the wheat from coming with it. And the second, that there's going to be a harvest coming. And that, and that at that moment, God will sort all of it out. Now let me help us frame the importance of this parable in light of, of recent history in churches in America. Before the 1900s, the unique contribution of Christianity to a American culture was the notion of this final judgment after death, offering eternal life coupled with the threat of eternal torment. But from the, the mid-late 1800s, people gradually stopped being quite so fixated on the fear of eternal punishment and began to focus more on what might be the unique contribution of Christianity to this present life right now. And so emerging in the early 1900s, the answer came to this question and it was love. People began to use language like, like the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God and all of it fitted with convictions about progress fueled by Darwin's theory of evolution. But the dumpster fire of World War I blew that naivety out of the water. Here was evil served up in horrible, horrible doses of mud and slaughter. And Christians began to turn and look more carefully at the opening verses of this parable and what they have to say about the inner intertwining of good and evil. It seemed that what the church had to offer the world was not a unique formula of love, but a profound and sobering understanding of sin and evil, the human condition, that there was good and that there is evil. 
And you simply can't expect to meet or experience the good without, without evil being tangled all up in it somehow. In fact, evil is never more likely to be present than in people who think of themselves as unambiguously good. It's no use trying to set up some utopian Christian society because either at worst you'll be humiliated in no time by the reality of, of the evil you tried so hard to ignore, or at best you'll set yourselves apart in a field of wheat and leave the great field of the world to its own destiny. The best you can hope for as a Christian in the world is not to heal evil or to avoid evil, but to, to live amid the reality of good and evil and try to discern amidst all the flawed and unsatisfactory possibilities the one that expresses and achieves the greatest good and the least evil. Have you heard the Christian response to evil being described this way before? It's a hugely influential view that became known as Christian realism. And it has dominated how Christian denominations have influenced public policy on questions such as war and foreign policy and the economy. And it's shaped the approach of many Christians in predominant roles of politics and public life. For Christian realists, the parable of the wheat and the weeds is essentially a lesson in humility. It takes humility for a church or for an individual to realize that it is itself a cocktail of good and evil. And humility is a huge improvement on the naive assumptions that evil can be killed with kindness or the arrogance that suggests it's possible to be a person or a community without evil at all. And so this way of reading this parable about the wheat and the weeds growing together as a lesson in humility is so attractive, right? As a human being and as a pastor, I have a sense of how complicated most people's lives are. We would love to be self-righteous about food or about finances, but we know our eating habits are not what they should be, and we have way more debt than we would like to admit. We'd love to call out the world about disciplining their children better or about marital stability, but we're, we're really not in a position to hold up our own parenting skills and domestic bliss as a model of excellence. In fact, the divorce rate is no different among Christians. And we'd love to call for more action on poverty, but we wouldn't want our own behavior in this area to be held up for too much public scrutiny. Humility becomes a way of making us feel a bit better about our personal failures. We read the beginning of this parable and we see in the field ourselves a mix of wheat and weeds. And we know it's even the same in churches, right? Church leaders know their own members are far from shining examples of the values they are calling the whole nation to uphold. And so to avoid being laughed out of public policy debate as fools or hypocrites, 
churches have in many instances tried to show just how realistic they could be, just how aware they were that the world, like the field, is this mix of wheat and weeds. The worst thing would be to pretend that we could all be good, right? It's, it's much better to arrange society so that the unavoidable evil that's always there can't do too much harm. Don't get me wrong, friends. I'm all for humility. But the trouble with this approach is that it only reads the opening scenes of the parable. It sees the description of the world as a place where evil is intertwined with good and then goes straight away to the point where it acknowledges that it's pointless and and foolish to try to form politics and public policy untainted by evil. And in no time, this reading of Jesus's words about the kingdom ends up largely giving Christian justifications for actions in the public space of public policy makers in a kingdom that is not at all Jesus's. But if you read the whole of the parable of the wheat and the weeds, it turns out not to be about humility, but about patience. The sting of this story is not at the beginning where we find that the world is a mixture of good and evil. It's, it's not in the question of, of where the evil came from and why it's there. The sting in the story is when the farmer says, don't gather up the weeds now, wait until the harvest and, and they will be gathered up in other ways. The Christian realist reading of the parable, the reading that has predominated for most of the last century, ignores the ending of this parable. But the ending is the whole point of the parable. This parable isn't about learning to live amidst the evil and good and us always trying to do the best thing and take the best route and choose the best of worst possibilities. No, it's about God saying God will do it. God will bring the healing. God will slay the evil and we are to trust and wait in this God because only God can do it without doing as much harm as good. This parable is calling Christians to revolutionary patience. The world is full of people who want to take justice into their own hands and see a field with evil in it and are happy just to slash and burn the whole lot down. What the world needs is patient people who believe God's judgment will finally do all the sifting that's necessary. And in the meantime, are content faithfully to tend the farm, knowing that not everything in the field is wheat. Jesus told many parables, but the real parable is Jesus himself. This is a story about patience, but the patience of God is Jesus himself. In Jesus, we see God's patience, and Jesus named and encountered the reality of evil from the beginning of his ministry. Think for a second about the story of the temptations. He didn't 
He didn't blow the devil out of the water, neither did he hide himself away in a fantasy land of pure wheat. What he did was, was to maintain a faithful presence in the face of evil, speaking the truth, empowering a community, modeling the fruits of the Spirit, bringing about reconciliation, taking in his own body the cost of witness and in every way waiting until the time of God's justice would come. Revolutionary patience. If once what marked our Christian, what marked a Christian was judgment and then later it was um, this idea of love and then more recently it's this sober per- perception of the universality of sin and evil, maybe what could mark Christians today might be our patience. In the face of evil, we either, we either put on the boxing gloves or we run from the room. Patience is all about staying in the room. Patience says, you don't scare me because I know a force that's deeper and broader and higher and more everlasting than you. I know there are weeds in this field, but I'm going to water it as if it were all wheat because the wheat really is good and the wheat really will last and God will finally deal with the weeds. I'm I'm not going to walk away because it's not all wheat and I'm not going to cut the field down because I can't bear the sight of the weeds. I'm just going to stay here I'm going to care for this field. Radical, radical patience. I wonder how God is inviting you into radical patience amidst the dumpster fire. Would you pray with me? God, when we survey the fruit of the Spirit, patience always seems to be one that we struggle with. Well, we always put that in our in our our basket of weakness. I can be kind, but oh, I have so much trouble being patient. But but this kind of patience isn't waiting in line at a, at a grocery store when someone has too many coupons. This is the radical patience of Jesus. And the entire gospel, God, remind us, remind us how the entire gospel (laughs) is about our patience. About Jesus' patience with us and our patience as we toil and tend, as we work with God among the wheat and the weeds, knowing that the harvest is coming, that the the healing will happen, that justice will roll down, that God will reign. And so forgive us, God, for when we make it more about us than about you, We long to turn our lives toward you so that this 
kingdom we are building here. Table of the Lord. There is peace at the table.